Welcome to the Hello Catholic Podcast. This is Father Josh Allen, the chaplain here at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center. Uh, this is Anthony Haskin, the pastoral lackey 3.0 at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center. And this is TJ Capaldi, former pastoral la- of pastoral lackey fame, current seminarian for the Archdiocese. Infamy of pastorals, <laughs> yeah. pastoral lackey infamy. Yes, and I'm currently a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Yes, and home for the summer, or at least for a little bit in the summer, and yeah. then all kinds of strange things happen. Mm-hmm. So we're happy to have uh, TJ back and to be making a podcast again. We tend to we tend to record these things in big spurts. So a few weeks ago we recorded like ten in one week, and then we haven't done one in <laughs> a month and a half, since, yeah. two months, something like that. So here we are again, recording in a little spurt, not a huge spurt, but uh, happy to be here. And our topic today, as we were talking about what we were going to discuss, uh, we have several topics today, but the one that was proposed. Uh, I know absolutely nothing about. It's, who is it? Claude who? Claude Newman. Claude Newman. I know a little bit about. Yeah. I know John Henry Newman, Cardinal, blessed. Mm-hmm. But yes. I don't know Claude. Is that like his, I don't is think, that his dog? I don't think they're in any way related. They're not, they're not related. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so our story takes place in- Wait, wait. So- before you start telling a story, like why are we talking about Claude Newman? Yeah, so uh, this is basically a story of uh, a miracle of the uh, miraculous metal. Uh, some of you probably are already familiar with the miraculous metal. Um, this, we won't go too much into detail. Maybe we will after after going through the story. Maybe we'll talk more about what the miraculous metal is. But that's always something that you can kind of just Google and learn more about. <laughs> Um, Anything we talk about. Yeah, they could do that with Claude Newman. <laughs> well, you know, we want to talk more about the story than the metal itself, you know, so we can spend more time on the story, but it might come up. Um, but anyways, the Miraculous Medal is a, a, you know, kind of a devotional medal that has a, its own kind of history, and there are a lot of miracles associated with it. The official name of the medal is actually the Medal of the Immaculate Conception, um, but because there's so many miracles associated with it, it gained the name, the com- common name of the miraculous medal. Okay. And so you're going to tell us one miracle story. Oh, but there's a lot to it. There's associated a, oh, with this right. medal. There's a lot of questions we can ask. There's a lot of things that we can talk about in relation to the story. Um, all right. So make it good. I'm already bored. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a story takes place in Mississippi in around 1943, 1944. Um, and it comes to us through the kind of the testimony as it were of the priest who is closely he's a part of the story he's closely associated with um with claude who's our kind of our protagonist if you will um his name is father robert o'leary and he was a divine word missionary um and he was associated with saint mary's catholic church in mississippi so there's a lot of little historical things that I'll mention because I, one thing I like about the story is that it's all like a lot of it is historically verifiable, um, which is always cool because a lot of stories that we have of miracles, sometimes they happen a long time ago. You know, we, we have to take them and I think we should, um, but it's fun when you can verify it too. Um, Claude Newman was a, was a black man who worked as a farmhand uh, in Mississippi and in 1943, Claude was 19 years old. Um, and the details on what exactly he was guilty of is, is kind of unclear. There are conflicting reports. 
Um, but he either killed a man who was the two most common ones, or that he was either, he either killed a man who was attacking his wife, um, or he killed a man who was abuse who was habitually abusing his grandmother. Um, so abusing Claude's grandmother, Claude's, or he the Claude's, man was abusing his own grandmother. Claude's grandmother. Okay. Claude's grandmother, and uh, in any case, he was arrested. He, he was convicted. They actually had to cross a. You know, in, in today's world, he would have been uh, apprehended by the FBI because he ran across state lines to get away. But they uh, they arrested him in Arkansas. He was convicted and he was sentenced to death in the electric chair. Um, so while he was on death, so are there like no records of his arrest um, or of his of his charge or anything like? Yeah, why you said why there don't was we know what he was charged? Historically with? verifiable. What is they they, they uh, the so the details of like who it was exactly and what the relation was is not clear in the records. But but he killed a man. It or says killed somebody. Yes. Yeah, we know like the name of the guy he killed. Okay, so he killed like, somebody. Yeah, All where right. right. Um, so uh, he shared on death row. He shared a cell block with four other prisoners, and one of them was a Catholic who. Uh, while he was incarcerated, was wearing this miraculous medal. And very early on, Claude asked him about it, but the man couldn't explain it. Uh, so he became, uh, you know, he became very angry for some reason. And so he ripped it off and he threw it on the ground in the direction of Claude. And he kind of said, you know, you take it, you know. Uh, so Claude didn't know anything about it, but he thought it was a nice thing. So he took it for himself. And that night, he was awakened by a touch on his wrist. Uh, Claude later reported, there stood the most beautiful woman that God had ever created. Um, he was frightened, but she calmed him down and she said to him, if you would like me to be your mother and you would like to be my child, send for a priest of the Catholic Church. So then she disappeared and Claude was terrified again and he cried now, out. Was, was Claude Catholic? No. Okay. No. So Is he religious at all? Like Claude was, as we'll find out, uh, when uh, Claude was both completely illiterate, only way he could tell that a, a book was right side up was if there was a picture in it, and um, he was also co completely ignorant of religion. So, only thing that he knew uh, at this point was that there was a God. He didn't know anything about Jesus. He didn't know anything about uh, like Christianity in general. Okay, hold on. We got to stop there, because. You just said something that's pretty unbelievable, right? That someone could grow up in Mississippi yeah, right. <laughs> and in the 1940s have no knowledge of Christianity. I find that that's really brilliant. hard to believe. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess you could poke a hole there, but he did. Um, he was at a very young age. I read that he was taken away from his father, took him and his one of his siblings away from his mother. And so he uh, he was raised in kind of an uh, unusual setting. He didn't have like a full family around him. And uh, at this point, he was only, um, like I said, 19. So he was still relatively young, but I don't know. Maybe, okay. maybe it just wasn't a big part of his life and it's kind of overstated in the story. It could be, but he knew very little about religion at the very least. All right. So if you want me to be your mother, call a Catholic priest. Got him. Right. And so, so he, you know, he gets very terrified. He cries out that there was a ghost, um, and he he did call for a Catholic priest. So the next day, um, Father O'Leary, the priest that I had mentioned earlier, uh, came to the prison, and initially had a hard time believing the story. But 
regardless, he agreed to uh, begin giving Claude religious instruction. And this is when he discovered that Claude was illiterate and and uh, relatively uh, ignorant of religion, right? Um, so, uh, he, but he, he also agreed, you know, because they were all in the same cell block there, he ended up giving instruction to all, all the prisoners that were on the cell block. They agreed to it as well. Um, so several weeks pass and it was time to give instruction on confession. And Father O'Leary was joined by two religious sisters from his parish. He liked to bring them along to help. Um, and he began to introduce the topic to the prisoners and Claude interrupted and said to him, Oh, I know about that. The lady told me that when we go to confession, we are kneeling down, not before a priest, but we're kneeling down by the cross of her son. And that when we are truly sorry for our sins and we confess our sins, the blood he shed flows down over us and washes us free from all sins. Now, Father and Leary, Father O'Leary and the sisters were naturally stunned by this. Uh, Claude began to apologize, uh, but they explained that they were not angry at him, but rather they were just amazed. And Father O'Leary uh, asked Claude if he had seen the woman again. So uh, Claude then asked Father O'Leary to speak to him privately. So they went around the corner and spoke. Uh, and he said, She told me that if you doubted me or showed hesitancy, I was to remind you that when you were lying in a ditch in Holland in 1940, you made a vow to her, which she's still waiting for you to keep. So Father O'Leary later said that Claude told him exactly what the vow was. Uh, Father O'Leary had promised Our Lady during the war um, that when he could, he would build a church in honor of her Immaculate Conception. Now, skipping ahead, we, we know that he later did. And in, uh, in 1945, he was asked to start a mission. And in 1947, in Clarksdale, Mississippi, he uh, built Immaculate Conception Church, which is still standing there today. Um, this all convinced Father O'Leary that, that the visions were real. You know, he didn't have any doubts anymore after that. Um, and when they returned to the lesson, Claude continued to insist on telling his fellow inmates more about confession, saying... Um, you should not be afraid to go to confession. You're really telling God your sins, not the priest. Now, up to this point, has he been to confession? Has he been no. baptized even? No. Have yeah. any of them? Uh, no. Okay. Well, I mean, we don't know details about the other guys. I mean, like the guy who had the um, miraculous, metal. miraculous metal probably was raised Catholic or something. Um, but, you know, he ended up on death row. So I don't know how well he practices religion. So all these guys are on death row? Yes. Okay. Um, at least I believe so, but they're all in the same cell block. He also, Claude also said, you know, the lady said that confession is something like a telephone. We talk through the priest to God and God talks back to us through the priest. Uh, not long after they had another lesson on the blessed sacrament. Again, Claude had already somehow learned about this also. And he said, the lady told me that in communion, I will only see what looks like a piece of bread. But she told me that it is really and truly her son, and that he will be with me just as he was with her before he was born in Bethlehem. She told me that I should spend my time like she did during her lifetime with him, in loving him, adoring him, thanking him, praising him, and asking him for blessings. I shouldn't be distracted or bothered by anybody else or anything else but I should spend those few minutes in my thoughts alone with him. 
When all the instruction had been completed, Claude was baptized, Claude Jude. It took place on January 16, 1944. One of the religious sisters stood in as sponsor, and you can find copies of the baptism records online. Uh, four days later, he was scheduled to be executed, and they asked him for his final request. This is a fun little part of the story. He said, well, all my friends are shook up. The jailer is all shook up, but you don't understand. I'm not going to die, only this body. I'm going to be with her. So then, I would like to have a party. The sheriff asked him, what do you mean? He said, a party. Will you give Father O'Leary permission to bring in some cakes and ice cream? And will you allow the prisoners on the second floor to be freed in the main room so that we can all be together and have a party? They were concerned. They said somebody might attack Father. And Claude turned to the men who were standing by and said, oh, no, they won't. Right, fellas? The warden consented and posted additional guards for the party, so Father O'Leary uh, asked a wealthy patron to pay for the cakes and the ice cream, uh, and everyone enjoyed the party very much. <laughs> Afterwards, uh, because Claude had requested it, they made a holy hour, although without the Blessed Sacrament, um, praying especially for Claude and for all their souls. Uh, Father O'Leary brought prayer books from the church, and they all said together the Stations of the Cross. The night of the execution, Father O'Leary brought Claude, uh, came to bring Claude Holy Communion, and he stayed with him in the time before, leading up to the execution and prayed with him as they waited. Fifteen minutes before the scheduled time, the sheriff came shouting, announcing that a two-week reprieve had been granted to Claude. Claude didn't know that the sheriff and the district attorney had been seeking a reprieve for him. Uh, Claude began to cry. Why, and, why, why were they looking for a reprieve for him? I, I don't know the, the reasoning behind that, but maybe they like thought he was good. I don't know. Maybe they were going to try to get him out of the death penalty or something. I don't know. Um, That's another hard thing to believe. A black man in Mississippi mm -hmm. in 1940s. I love that those are the two things we bring up. Like the blessed version appears to him. Fine. Awesome. Well, no, she does that all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Well, say, stay with me here. All right. We can come come back to the doubts later. I mean, also the fact that the Catholic priest was allowed into the prison, was allowed the death row, and instructed all of the prisoners in the state with the most active KKK, still active in the 1940s. That's a little hard to believe, too. He didn't teach all the prisoners. just the, oh, All the ones on death row. The, f the five on, yeah. the, on that cell block. I yeah. think there were others on death row also. Okay. Um, so, so Claude began to cry, and they thought that these were tears of joy, but they were not. And Claude said, You don't understand. If you ever saw her face and looked into her eyes, you wouldn't want to live another day. He continued, What have I done wrong these past weeks that God would refuse me my going home? Father O'Leary then testified that Claude sobbed as, as uh, someone who was completely heartbroken. And afterwards, Claude asked, Why, Father, why must I still remain here for two weeks? Father O'Leary remembered a prisoner that, uh, who hated Claude very much, one of the vilest prisoners in the prison. Uh, he suggested that Claude offer up everything that he did in the final two weeks of his life for the salvation of this man. Claude thought about it and agreed, and, and Father O'Leary taught him how to make this offering. Um, 
they kept the matter private just between them and the Blessed Virgin and God. Concerning uh, Claude's death, which happened those two weeks later, Father O'Leary said, I have never seen anyone go to his death as joyfully and happily. Even the official witnesses and the newspaper reporters were amazed. They said they couldn't understand how anyone could go and sit in the electric chair while this, at the same time beaming with happiness. Uh, Claude's death notice was printed in the Vicksburg Evening News on the day of his execution, February 4th, 1944. His last words to Father O'Leary were, Father, I will remember you, and whenever you have a request, ask me, and I will ask her. Now, three months later, on May 19, 1944, uh, the other prisoner who Claude had offered the last two weeks of his life for, his name was James Hughes, uh, was, was scheduled to be executed. Father O'Leary said, This man was the filthiest, most immoral person I had ever come across. His hatred for God and for everything spiritual defied description. Uh, for example, he would not allow a priest or any clergyman in his cell. Just before his execution, the county doctor pleaded with him to at least kneel down and say the Our Father before the sheriff would come for him. But the prisoner spat in the doctor's face. When he was strapped into the electric chair, the sheriff said to him, If you have something to say, say it now. And the prisoner began to blaspheme, blaspheme God. All of a sudden, though, he stopped speaking and his eyes became fixed on the corner of the room and his face turned to one of absolute horror. Suddenly, he screamed in terror, a horrible scream that shocked everyone present. Turning to the sheriff, he then said, Sheriff, get me a priest. Now, Father O'Leary had already been in the room uh, because it was actually required by law that there be some clergyman present. Uh, but because the man had said that he would blaspheme if he saw any clergy present, he was kind of hiding uh, behind somebody or something. Um, so uh, Father O'Leary went up to the man and everyone else left the room and he heard the man's confession. As, as it turned out, uh, the man had been raised Catholic, but had turned away from his faith as a teenager uh, because of his immoral life. Um, and then when they returned to the room, uh, the sheriff asked the priest, you know, not knowing anything about the seal of confession, uh, what made the man change his mind? Um, and father said, I don't know. I didn't ask him. So... <laughs> The sheriff said, well, I'll never sleep if I don't ask him. So the sheriff turned and asked the man what changed his mind. And the prisoner said, remember that black man, Claude, the one who I hated so much? Well, he's standing there. And he pointed uh, over in the corner. And behind him with one hand on each shoulder is the Blessed Virgin Mary. And Claude said to me, I offered my death in union with Christ on the cross for your salvation. She has obtained for you this gift of seeing your place in hell if you do not repent. I have been shown my place in hell, and that's why I screamed. Dang. It's like Teresa of Avila little stuff. Yeah. So, thus the story of Claude Newman with some small doubts, but a lot to, uh, a lot to consider, I think. Uh, the place of the miraculous metal, 
the role of the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, the simplicity of faith, the importance of the sacraments, uh, etc., etc. Okay, so what do you want to talk about? <laughs> Any immediate thoughts from the story, reactions? It's a great story. <laughs> How did you find this story? I mean, I've heard of it a little bit before, just that the miraculous medal and the, the apparition, but I didn't know the whole thing. There were, um, I don't know, there was a period of time in my life uh, I, when I was at Georgia Tech that I somehow, I think I spent a lot of time on the internet, like looking around at Catholic stuff. And during that time, like I stumbled upon a lot of gems, like this story. And uh, this was one of my favorite things. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't tell you exactly how I found it. It just kind of, I just kind of found it. So let me ask you this. So with a story like that, where's the ecclesial approbation? Is there, is there an investigation into it? Like what's going on with that? Um, that is a good question. I, uh, that's one thing that I haven't looked into entirely yet. Um, I do often wonder about that. Um, but. Cause that's a pretty incredible story. Yeah. Yeah. For me to have never heard it. Yeah. I do also wonder why it's not a more well-known story, which is, you know, often something that you should be concerned about. Um, but I do, uh, recognize that it's, you know, there's not a whole ton of, uh, of accounts like that from America in the 20th century, right. That, mm -hmm. that we know about, you know, at all. Um, so is this whole account coming from the testimony of this priest pretty I think much? That's the primary source. Yeah. And then, like I said, there's these small little, uh, kind of like historical records surrounding it. That, that makes and sense. did he like write a book or something? Is there, uh, um, he passed away in 1984. I don't think that he wrote a book. I haven't heard anything about that, but it's possible. Um, I think it like his testimony was recorded in maybe like in a newspaper or some some other kind of publication. Um, Do you know what diocese it was in? Well, at the time it it must have been uh, classified differently than it is now. But uh, I can look really quickly and see where it is exactly because I know where the church is. Uh, the church or the prison. Uh, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I was assuming that the church that Father O'Leary built a few years later would be in the He city. might have been transferred. Yeah. I mean, you never know, right? Well, it's still in Mississippi, and even today, Mississippi only has two um, dioceses. So. Uh, hmm. Well, it's an interesting story. I mean, it's one of those things, but I, I uh, it's a story that you hope is 100% true. Yeah. I suspect that it's not. Um, and the only reason, I mean, the big reason for that is it's a really incredible story, beautiful story, again, that I've, that I've never heard before, right? Um, and those are the kind of things that, that you tend to hear after years in seminary, right? Yeah. You tend to hear those kind of stories. Um, Especially with it being so recent, like it's only been 70 years since this yeah. happened, right? You'd think it would have been. That's why I tell um, lots of people about it. <laughs> <laughs> TJ is the, so the TJ main is champion of the story. Championing, championing He's trying to get Claude's cause open. He read about all the interwebs. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, you got it. You figured it out, yeah. It looks like it would be the uh, Diocese of Jackson because it's in northern Mississippi yeah. near Arkansas. Okay. So we do. We know he was baptized, and that's about it, for yes. sure. Well, and that and that he was executed, and, he was and executed. that he was, you know, convicted of murder and all this stuff. Um, what happened in between is the story, right? So that's the the part that I guess you would question. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to know whether the diocese has any like real information on it or whether there was an investigation and nothing came up or something came up or whether just nobody ever investigated it. You know, I mean, I hear all kinds of stories about Mary popping up here and there, even here in the United States that don't end up being approved. Right. Right. Because for different reasons, it's not always because it's not always the fact that the diocese says it's not true. It's just a lot of times the diocese says, well, we've got no way of verifying this. So, we can't like promote this as something that people ought to have a devotion to. You know? mm-hmm. So, um, did, uh, is, has his cause for yeah, canonization or anything like that ever been opened? Is there, not that I know of. Yeah. I mean, there might be a little, you know, coalition behind it, but I don't, if it, if it is, I don't think there's a lot of steam. And so like the only part the miraculous metal plays is that he was, he was wearing it this whole time, I guess. Right. He received. I thought maybe it was going to be a bigger part of the story than just the fact that he received one. And then, I mean, I would imagine. I mean, the, what I always kind of take away from that is, uh, number one, that just uh, you know the power of the sacramental, um, but number two, like the simplicity of of the man uh, that. That, you know, he didn't know anything about it. He accepted it. And for whatever reason, like, he was kind of, like, chosen for this special grace. And the promises, uh, I mean, the general promise of the Miraculous Medal is just that, uh, you know, those who wear this medal uh, will be granted special graces from Blessed Virgin Mary. So, it kind of fits with that promise. Uh, makes sense. Um yeah, so yeah, the, you don't hear much more about the metal afterwards, but you know, this whole story is kind of predicated on the presence of this of the metal and kind of the the disposition of of Claude, if you will. And has like do you know whether or not this story and the the event or whatever that happened did it create a great devotion to the miraculous metal in the area or anything like that is there mm-hmm. some sort of ongoing uh like fruit that's come from it? Um, all I know, uh, from what, what I've looked at, um, is that, uh, the, like, for example, the parish that was founded, Immaculate Conception Church, um, they still, um, reference the, uh, you know, the origin story, that the origin of the, uh, of the church comes from Father O'Leary, which is reminded by, uh, by Claude through that experience of the story, um. So, that I would be interested to know more about that, but I would have to look look all that up. Sorry, I only kind of prepared for telling the story, <laughs> not a lot of the follow up. What do you What do you think of uh, his or I guess the Blessed Virgin's description of the sacraments that we got? So we got comp- our confession and Holy Communion. Well, I think you have to uh, qualify a little bit of it, like for example when he talks about the um uh 
the metaphor of the telephone for confession, you know, like he has to be talking about, uh, about if the priest, the words of the priest are coming from God, he must be talking about absolution. So Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Well, the words of the priest, even the advice can come from God, but that's not because of the sacramental grace given to the priest. That's because of the priest's own personal relationship and holiness. Yeah. And his, how in tune he may or may not be with the Holy Spirit. Right. So that's, I guess, an important uh, qualification to make. Uh, they seem like good. Did you find anything kind of like uh, questionable about them? No, no. I was actually thinking about um, when he described Holy Communion or when she was talking about it, how you might receive him the way she received him uh, before he was born. It made me think of when I was in New Orleans, what Father Jim had said to us uh, at dinner. He was talking about... Who's Father Jim? Father Jim um, Wainer, the rector at Notre Dame Seminary. I'm sure he's loving to have his name (laughs) blasted on this podcast. (laughs) Um, But he was talking about what we should do after we receive communion, and he likened it to the visitation. So the incarnation is when we receive communion. So Mary receives Jesus in her womb. And then the visitation, she goes in haste to her cousin Elizabeth. So we're supposed to go forth to our family, our friends, or, you know, whomever, and, you know, share what we have received the way the Blessed Virgin did. Mm. So that's what it made me think of. And it made me think also, the story made me think also of, uh, well, two things. I don't know which one we want to tackle more, but, uh, like, how ought we approach, you know, stories like this or, you know, like the supernatural in general. Um, and then, but then also, uh, in particular, um, I lost it. Let's go with the first. One. <laughs> I don't back. know if you've listened to this podcast before, but we talked about dragons one time, so it's a little. <laughs> we're a little cool on the supernatural, I think. <laughs> right, but I mean, given that the story, like as far as we know, is not necessarily like approved or you know uh, that kind of thing. Like we don't know the certitude of it or that the church hasn't said anything about it. Like, Well, I think any, I mean, any Marian apparition, right? Even the ones mm-hmm. that the church approves, you're never required uh, to believe in them. You're not required to believe that Mary appeared to Bernadette at Lourdes uh, or any of the things that fall that, that flow from it. You're not required to believe uh, any of the stuff that happened at Fatima, which is one of the things, you know, people get all worked up that the Pope never, uh, consecrated uh, Russia, the, Russia, mm-hmm. the you know Russia to the what is the Immaculate Heart, 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 Heart of Mary, and it's like, well, that's actually not a requirement of these things, right? Yeah. So it's it's one of those <laughs> one of those kind of um, so you're not required to. Um, so it's like some of them will more more firmly sort of fill your heart and speak to you, and some of them won't. And then of course the church sometimes they investigate and they say this is just not true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then sometimes things like this, I mean, things happen and it, it never rises to the level of the church investigating it because maybe it's just a one-time thing and it was never really meant to be a, like, it's not like a site where Mary appeared and right. so we're supposed to have this devotion to yeah, it or yeah, anything yeah. like that. But but at the same time, it's like, I mean, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. Like if Mary appeared to Claude in this cell, you would think that when they started talking about this, that like that might have become a place of some importance. Uh Do you think, I mean, just speculating, it could be, uh, you know, adversely affected by the 
you know, lack of Catholics in Mississippi. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially there's in, no question. Especially yeah. in northern yeah. Mississippi near Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, that, again, kind of gets back to my question of, wow, like I'm really surprised that it's the Catholic priest who's coming into a, a Mississippi prison uh-huh. in the 1940s in northern Mississippi, even worse. And, to minister uh, to a black man. <laughs> ministering to a black man. He was, to be fair, they had like a Catholic church there that was specifically for the black people at that time. And uh, that's where O'Leary was. And that's where he was, right. yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, like I say, it's not, I mean, it's not impossible. Of course it's not. But um, So how do we approach it? You, you can believe things like this. You don't have to believe them. I do think if you go through your whole life never believe in anything like this, uh, that's a little... I think that's a little problematic <laughs> um, because what you're basically saying is – and I always point this out. It's the same sort of thing that happens with scripture scholars doubting all the miracles that Jesus did uh, in the scriptures, you know, kind of trying to explain them away and everything because miracles, good grief. We don't have to have any of those. And yet we accept the most absurd miracle ever, right, which is that Jesus Christ, the Son of exactly. God, became man and died and rose again for our sins. Like we're really, we're ready to accept that. But good grief, he could never multiply uh, two loaves and seven fishes or whatever it was. Or walk right? on water. Or walk yeah. on water or heal somebody. But he can he can die and be raised from the dead and save us all from our sins, but none of the other stuff, right? It's like, well, no, no, no. I mean, these things, these are the kind of things that can happen, right? Um, and if the elements in that story are true, like, it's pretty compelling, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. If the guy doesn't know anything, especially like – talking about a vow that the priest might have made, you know, whatever. And, um, and then, and then the, the conversion of the other guy on at the, at the execution, um, that that's impressive, amazing stuff. And also, you know, maybe there aren't a lot of records of it because of anti-Catholicism. That's possible. Yeah. Um, even at the time. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I think, but I think, I think Mary has done these kind of things throughout history. Right, uh, and why not? Why not now? Yeah, you know why not? Why not in uh, Mississippi? Like why not? <laughs> uh, I, d- I definitely think it's possible. Yeah, a few other things that really stick out to me in the story personally, I think I've benefited from the story very much with regard to the way that Claude spoke about his encounter with the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, you know, whether or not the story is legitimate, I like to think that it is, but uh, um just to hear him speak about how beautiful she was um, and, you know, really an all-encompassing beauty, not just that she was, you know, that he found her physically attractive, but that her presence, like the few times that she was with him, made him want to be with her, like, forever, you know. Um, that I that I found extremely uh, compelling and and. I think very beneficial for my personal devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, And uh, another big one is at the end with that conversion of the, uh, of the other prisoner. Uh, We don't like to talk about hell very often, um, but I found it interesting that like the, um, you know, the method of kind of like convincing this guy was that, Claude obtained for him the grace. Now, who knows if Claude asked for that specific grace or that was just something the Blessed Virgin Mary, like, you know, grace that she decided to to grant or, you know, whatever it was. 
But this guy, this hardened sinner who, like, hates God explicitly, you know, uh, the grace that he receives is to see his place in hell, and it immediately causes him to repent. That, I think that merits some, you know, some reflection, some some thinking about. Because um, we, we're kind of like, you know, modern sensibility, like, doesn't want to doesn't want to look at that aspect of the faith really. Well, I think today people would dismiss that idea. I think a lot of Catholics today would admit that hell exists and that it's awful, but there's no way they're going there. <laughs> right. It's like, no, no, no. I mean, it's like, I, I heard this just the other day, like from, I mean, I don't know, pretty good guy. Right. And I heard, uh, and this is, it's not like it's uncommon, right. The whole idea of, well, I, I've done more good stuff than I've done bad stuff. I think my I think my uh, bank my balance is in the positive, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I so I mean I'm good, right? Um, I mean, it doesn't work that way, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, my judgment of whether I've done more or less good in the world is uh, not the measure of salvation. It turns out I'm not the one that gets to that gets to decide that. I can't do whatever I want to and then say, well, yeah, but I think my balance. It's like somebody who uh, does all this bad stuff and then gives a bunch of money away you know, to, to kind of make up for it or whatever. It doesn't work that way. You know, um, interesting. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a great story. It's a great story. I mean, there's no question about it. And I very much hope it's true. Um, I think, uh, I think it's beautiful. I, you know, the other thing that I noticed, cause I love the story of Lords as you were telling it, Claude. Now I don't know if he never referred to this woman as Mary, but every time he yeah. quoted what he said, he said, Are the lady, which is the same thing Bernadette did. Yeah. Bernadette never called the lady Mary. Even after the church started calling the lady Mary, she never referred to her, at least in public, mm-hmm. as Mary. And his description of how beautiful she was reminded me of also Bernadette's. Yeah. How she said, you would never want to see anybody else. She's so beautiful. That sort of thing. Um, so. That's fascinating. Well, so I think uh, there's one other aspect of these kind of stories. You said, like, how are people supposed to take them? And I think they can be really inspirational and beautiful. And I'll tell you, they can also be really harmful. And I've experienced as a priest people probably being harmed more by these kind of stories than they're helped. And the reason being that stories of the extraordinary tend to make people wonder why that kind of thing doesn't happen to them Mm -hmm. or why when they have prayers that seem as urgent, right? Mm -hmm. Why aren't their prayers answered? Like, why doesn't the blessed Virgin Mary come and help them that way? Right? Like what's the, like what's, why is it that God has kind of abandoned them when he'll appear to these other people in, in desperate, strange situations and, uh, why did he, why was it Claude? Um, Even why, in this about, case, he didn't ask at all for it. Exactly. Just, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Right. So why, why him? And why not, why not maybe the guy who's uh, been falsely accused, who's on death row, who's praying to be saved from his fate, uh, who maybe is not allowed to see a priest and stuff like that. I mean, that kind of stuff happens, you know? Um, I mean, here in the state of Georgia, there are prisoners who cannot see a Catholic priest because... Uh, the people who are running the prison won't let the priests in, right? There's that that kind of anti-Catholicism still exists in places in Georgia. I have been told that I cannot go into prisons before. The prisons that I have passes to go into, like I'm not saying I just you can't show up, right? <laughs> um, 
And it's like, well, so so why this guy? Why then? Why there? And I think people people can think about that, and and it can be a source of dejection. These kind of stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that I think uh, these sort of ridiculous hagiographical stories um, are actually not helpful to people uh, when we're reading about them. Like, and what I mean by that is. There are stories of saints that are so outlandish that it makes sainthood seem so unattainable that you end up saying, well, that's obviously not for me, right? Like, I can't survive on the Eucharist for 14 years and nothing else. Like, I can't, you know, do this. I can't do that, right? It's not – that's not a power that I have. So, obviously, if that's what every saint I've ever read about has done Uh or some guy has written that they've done – then it makes it seem unattainable. So, um, and you know, we're getting much more uh, realistic hagiographical hagiographies these days. Uh, but I think some of that stuff is very harmful. And e- but the thing is, like the story, assuming the story is one hundred percent true, it still uh, it still can it, it can it can hurt people because it hasn't happened to them. You know, um, well, what, what what would you guys think about that? Well. Yeah, I I see that as like a legitimate concern. My my understanding of it has always been that, you know, there's uh the extraordinary things that happen to people are meant to be for the benefit of people who don't have extraordinary experiences. Mm-hmm. But it's much easier to like say that than, you know, I'm not in a position where I feel that way, so I don't know. Um but it does seem like a lot of these things are meant to like kind of encourage us, you know, like the extraordinary thing might not happen to you. Otherwise it might not be extraordinary anymore out of the ordinary. Yeah. But, uh, but that, uh, I ought to be kind of like encouraged and given hope because that's just kind of reaffirming like God is present. God is active. Even if I don't see it, even if the extraordinary thing doesn't happen to me, um, I have that, that hope still. Mm. I think, uh, I mean, if we going back to your story, I think that uh, it's interesting, you know, so you've got this guy who was baptized Catholic and then who left the church, failed to practice, whatever it is. Uh, and then you got a guy who, at least on the face of it, does not know Christ, not necessarily through any fault of his own, right? So you have uh, Our Lady coming to this to this guy, to Claude. Uh, who through no fault of his own doesn't know our Lord, um, or maybe there's some fault but not major fault, uh, and then through him getting to uh, the Catholic who'd fallen away. And it makes me think of the requirements present in the apostolic pardon, right? So the apostolic uh-huh. pardon is a, a, a kind of a pardon, more or less. It's a prayer that a priest prays when someone is in danger of death, in danger of imminent death. Uh, and it releases someone it's a plenary indulgence and it releases someone from all of the pains and difficulties and payment or whatever of purgatory. Right. Uh, so long as they have confessed their sins and it's so long as they have a uh, complete detachment from sin. And it's amazing, you know, complete, complete detachment from <laughs> sin is not an easy thing to attain, but I believe that I've seen it a number of times in hospitals of people who are dying. Like, you're pretty detached from sin at that point, right? It's mm-hmm. all about, okay, like it's all about family, people you're leaving behind, fear of what's going to happen in the future, you know, trying to repent, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that 
it is a clarifying moment. Um, so, you know, you give somebody the apostolic pardon, and the requirement for the apostolic pardon <laughs> is so long as the person, so even if the person's like unconscious, right? So long as the person has said some prayers in their life, at least some prayers, <laughs> right? Then this pardon is effective for them, right? It's like, it's amazing how easy it seems that the church tries to make um, entrance into eternal life. Now, that person's not going to, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know, we'll see. But, uh, you know, how easy the church tries to make it. And it makes me think that, you know, maybe uh, the the second guy, the hardened anti-God guy, maybe sometime when he was a little kid, he offered a sincere prayer to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he meant it then. And maybe later on in his life, he didn't anymore. But Our Lady remembers the one. Uh-huh. You know, she remembers the one from when he was a kid. And uh, and continues to look out for him. Um, I do believe the saints work that way, and I, I believe Mary works that way, and our Lord, I, I do think they work that way. Um, that's a fascinating, it's a great story. It's a great story. Well, I think that's enough of that. This yeah. is the uh, <laughs> Hell of a Catholic Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, if you know anything about this story, especially the questions we asked or whatever, if you uh-huh. know anything about it that we did not find out and want to... Uh, shoot us an email. Um, please do so. Podcast at gtcatholic.org. And uh, thanks for listening. God bless. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego?